Everybody needs to see this. How are you doing this morning? Who, who was it? Thank you. The woods. <coughs> hey. <coughs> Go sit down and stop causing trouble. Yes, sir. How are you guys doing this morning? He's still causing trouble. He's one of the elder elders and he won't behave. Are you guys doing this morning? Doing well this morning on this side? They won't talk to me over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. I took him up uh, Monday and I'd made him a reservation at a hotel up there near the airport, thinking that it had a shuttle. There was, there was two Hampton Inns, two, two Hampton Inn airport, airport and so one of them had a shuttle, the other one didn't. And for some reason, somehow I got the reservation at the one that didn't. But they had a cab driver that does it for a flat fee, so I, but he got there, so he, he messaged me later on. I don't know if you saw this, our pastor has a new profile, and if you can't read that, that's the Old Testament, and that's Skittles. If, if, you, uh, if you have the Old Testament and you have Skittles, what more do you need? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. May have had too many Skittles. <laughs> and not enough Old Testament. <laughs> Well, this morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians and see what it has to tell us. So, so let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning that you've given us and this place uh, where we can gather together and this time where we gather together to look at your word specifically to see what, uh, what it would have us to do, what you would teach us through it, and... Uh, just to get, get to know you better, Father. And I pray that you would open these words to us and that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and let us focus on you and your spirit and uh, how you move, move among us. Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what do we know about Thessalonians? Thessalonica. You know we're going to have a map. I forgot the aardvark. We messed up. <clears throat> I, the, the reason why I forgot the aardvark is because I changed maps. Because um, I wanted to get a little bit better, a little bit more of a close-up view on the area that we're talking about. And then I forgot to put the aardvark on this one. So if you look straight up at the top, it's Philippi. So remember what happened to Paul at Philippi. What happened to Paul at Philippi? In prison. They, they whooped him and ran him out of town. What did they do to him? They whooped him. Um, which they weren't allowed to do because he's a Roman citizen and they 
started thinking, uh-oh, that's not a good thing. Well, he went from Philippi to Thessalonica, which is where we're going to be talking about today, and we'll get back to Thessalonica in just a minute. He spent a period of time there. They put him out of town there. So then he went to Berea, which is a little bit to the left there, and he had a better time in Berea until the people from Thessalonica came to Berea and ran him out of town there. Well, then he, they took him down from Berea down to Athens, and uh, then he went from Athens to Corinth. And while he was in Corinth, he stayed there for a while, um, like a year and a half or two years. And while he was in Corinth is when he wrote back to the, to the Thessalonians. So um, he's been like one, one step ahead of the, the mob for a while now. When he left Berea, he left um, Silas and Timothy back. And he went to Athens alone, and that's when you'll remember he was at the Areopagus and he was preaching about, um, talking about the, the idols that they were all worshiping and, and the one to the unknown God and all that kind of stuff. So he was telling them uh, uh, kind of on his own. Then when he went to Corinth, Paul and, uh, I mean, Timothy and Silas rejoined him. So Thessalonica, you can see it is right there on a harbor. <clears throat> that, that's a, a large port city. Um, Thessalonica was the biggest city in, in Macedonia. It was the capital city by this point. Um, and some commentators have said that there were probably a couple hundred thousand people that lived there. It was also on the main east-west road that goes through Philippi and Thessalonica, and it goes on over to the coast uh, that the Romans built so that they could get from Rome and they could just jump on a, sh a ship and get across to that highway and then they could go all the way over to Constantinople on this highway. So it's on the, the intersection of, of two major areas. And it had gotten uh, the status in the Roman uh, Empire that it was a, a free city. It, they were able to rule themselves. And so a lot of the rule was more of a, a Greek-type rule than a, than a Roman-type rule. They were still under the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, but they were not, um, they were allowed a, a degree of freedom in how they ruled themselves. And you can hear that if you ever look up uh, Acts 17.7, that's where the, the account of, of Paul's time in Thessalonica is in 17. Um, one of the charges that the mob made against Paul was that he was um, teaching that there was another king other than Caesar. And that, that was one thing that got the authorities kind of aggravated and, and perked up their ears because they want to keep the Romans happy because they like the situation. They like having the self-rule. They don't want the Romans to come in there and, and start um, um, changing things. So um, why did he write it, do you think? Remember, he's, he's been chased by all these mobs, and they're back there in a, in a difficult environment, and he's away from them. So he wrote to encourage them. He wrote to kind of defend himself, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Um, and he, was, um, he really showed his, his pastor's heart for them. And he also had, uh, there were some, some questions he needed to clear up. 
So um, the other thing about Thessalonica, being a seaport town, being a big city, being a, a trading, a big stop on the trading route, there was a lot of um, vice, I guess you could say, because you know when you have a lot of money, there's going to be a lot of people that are eager to try to take that money away, and they'll use whatever means that they can to uh, to get that money. So I'm sure there was there was a lot of the normal vices that you see, but. Um, one commentator or one source wrote that people didn't even have windows in their houses because the crime was so bad. And so um, kind of reminds me of our society today. We were uh, driving downtown last night to go see the parade and um, there were a lot of neighborhoods where everything is boarded up, you know, and, and barred up and everything else. So um, it's, it's a difficult place to live. So that was a tough environment. Um, they were also idol worshipers. They they uh, had that was their their religion uh, for the most part was was idol worship. <clears throat> so first, we'll talk about Paul's defense. If you really think about it, they really didn't know a whole lot about Paul uh, whenever he came to town. Um, they just knew that he was running from the from the mob in Philippi. And he was only in Thessalonica for a short time. Uh, could have been as short as two weeks because the scripture says that he taught at the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So it could have been just two weeks, but I, I think it was probably longer than that. Um, just from the commentators that I read um, and some of the things that he wrote in the letter, it seemed like he, it would have been a tough two weeks for him to develop that kind of relationship with the people and teach them as much as, as it sounds like that he was able to teach them. So he was there for, for longer, but it was not one of the longest of stops that he made. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, that he this is one of the first letters that he wrote. This and Galatians were probably the two earliest epistles. So this one was probably written somewhere around 50 or 51. So this is fairly, fairly early in his ministry as far as his writing ministry goes. Um, but if you, even when you're with somebody for, for a short time, um, if you're living with them, you can, you can learn a lot about that person. You can learn a lot about how they conduct themselves and how they um, carry on and, and what they're doing and, and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy were, were living and they were working among the, uh, among the Thessalonians. Um, and they weren't like some of the other itinerant preachers that, that happened along. Again, if you've got the, the main thoroughfare there and you're the big city, if you've got some itinerant preacher or itinerant philosopher or, or some, somebody that's coming along, they're going to stop there. And so Paul was different than the rest of them. And, and so he wanted to remind them of that um, whenever they may have been doubting whatever uh, he had taught them. So verse 1, 5b says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Um, it wasn't a surprise. They had watched him. Um, and this next one's a little bit longer and goes into a little bit more detail. Somebody could read that. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, 
so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Before I say anything else, did, does it, is anybody else find it kind of humorous that Paul has to remind them that he doesn't have words of flattery? <laughs> I mean, just by what, what else we read, you, that, would, that would be one thing that I don't think you could ever say about Paul is that he flatters unnecessarily. Um, but he, he reminded them that, that they were genuine, that they were doing the, this for the benefit of the people in Thessalonica, um, that they weren't doing it for their own benefit. They weren't doing it for their own gain. They weren't asking for money. Um, this passage doesn't say it, but the next one, the next one does. They, they work day and night. They weren't wanting to be a burden on the, on the Thessalonian people. Um, and he reminds them that they are apostles, or he's an apostle, and that, that he could rightfully have made a demand as far as them caring for him. But he didn't do that. He worked to earn his own keep. And he also makes it clear that they got, they got the straight talk. Um, again, Paul doesn't flatter people. Um, he pretty much tells it, tells it like it is. And uh, so they got the truth whenever they, whenever they heard uh, his, his message. They, they were getting the, the, true, uh, the true thing. So down in verses 9 and 10 in chapter 2, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So he's reminding them they weren't there for a handout. They weren't there trying to make a, a living off of, you know, weaving a nice story. They were there for the, uh, the benefit of the of the uh, of the people it's kind of kind of interesting this morning when i was going through these notes i was thinking back when i was a kid um we had gotten a new pastor and this doesn't reflect on our pastor by the way this is he's different uh, we had gotten a new pastor and um he was a single man and as a good pastor he was coming around and he was making visits to members of the church and uh I didn't think anything about it, and then my mom said something about it one day. She said, you know, he always comes around dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a smart pastor, because <laughs> um, my mom was a good cook. Um, <clears throat> so, so he would always show up, you know, when, when dinner was cooking, and of course, with all the smells and everything, you can't just turn the pastor away and say, well, we're going to go eat dinner. Uh, have a nice night. So, you know, y'all, you want to stay? Well, okay, y'all stay. Um, so anyway, that that's that just kind of reminded me of it. Um, he was he was a good guy. He wasn't. Um, he was just right out of seminary, so he was kind of kind of new and made some bumbling errors because of that. But don't we all want to right out of school? Um, so anyway, Paul's reminding them that that he's not there for his own benefit. He was there for them. He was working hard for them. He, he put his, um, his neck on the line for them uh, as he's going through um, because, like I said, he ended up getting chased out of, out of Thessalonica as well um, because whenever he went there, 
to the synagogue for three Sabbaths, and he was reasoning with them from the scriptures. Some of them believed, a lot of them believed, made the core of this church, but there were also some that rose up against him. And they, um, they're the ones that went to the authorities, and they said, hey, this guy's teaching another king. That's a hard standard. Can we say that? Right. That's a hard standard. That's a hard standard. And, you know, you can't just throw that out to somebody and not be true. Not be true. Right. <clears throat> so they, they knew him, and, and so he's reminding them, look, you saw it. And as God is my witness, you saw it. But Paul had a big heart for the Thessalonians, um, just like any pastor uh, would. Could somebody read that? So that's the kind of verse that, that leads me to believe that he was there longer than two weeks. Because it's hard, I mean, you can get to that kind of relationship with somebody in a couple of weeks if you're co-laboring with them in, in difficult circumstances, but it's hard. And so I'm kind of thinking that he was there longer. Um, but you can see even here, I mean, it, it, it's his heart is for the, the benefit of the Thessalonian people. Um, and he was ready to share not only the gospel, but his own self. He's laying down his life, literally laying down his life to minister to them, to bring them the good news, to bring them the gospel, to see them um, come, to, uh, come to the Lord. So he was, he was reminding them that he was there to give. He was not there to take. Um, and reminding them of the deep love that he had for them. And, yeah? The Thessalonians even... I don't know. Um, they wouldn't know much about him because Philippi was the first church in Europe, but they were right there on the main trade route, so they may have heard rumors and, and rumblings of, of that. Um, I would think, and I don't know, Pastor, you might chime in here. Um, I would think that especially the Jewish people may have had their ears perked up by knowing or hearing bits and pieces about it. Um, but it couldn't have been too bad because he went to the synagogue and they, they allowed him to go to the synagogue and they reasoned with him for three weeks. It's, it's possible that um, there was a big uh, diaspora of Jews from the city of Jerusalem uh, right after Jesus was crucified. And, there was, and so we read about that in the early chapters of the book of Acts. So it's possible that news of those events had reached those far-flung places as Jews had moved and settled in new places. In the book of Acts, Paul is uh, addressing some of the government officials and leaders, and he seems to indicate that they heard about this too, you know, about Jesus and the crucifixion and the uh, you know, alleged resurrection. Mm -hmm. These stories were going around, 
in some of the far flung areas. So it's possible that some of them had heard bits and pieces of this. You know, is, yeah. who is Jesus? Some say Elijah, some say one of the other right. Old Testament prophets. There were some rumors that maybe there was a prophet and what who was he and what was this about? Yeah. So they probably had heard bits and pieces, but Paul would go in and he would show them from scriptures um, the case, make the case. And in some cases, it's probably uh, after Peter's sermon in Acts 2, I think it is, you know, where the Jews went out and they, they could have had some representation mm -hmm. there at that who went back to Thessalonica and was telling the story that happened in, in several of the mm -hmm. churches that, that were sort of rumblings Right. Maybe not knowing the full extent of it, but knowing that something happened there that was extraordinary. Right. A few might have been at Pentecost too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they they may very well have known known something, but he went in and, and kind of gave them the uh, the details. Um, and incidentally, after he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea. Same thing. He went to the synagogue. And there, instead of um, running him out of town, they welcomed him. And if I knew it before, I forgot it. But I just learned this week, whenever I was reading over this stuff, that the, the noble Bereans that we hear about was actually the Jewish congregation. That was the synagogue. That they welcomed Paul in, and they discussed things with him. And, and that's what I was talking about with Bruce earlier, is we don't like to discuss things anymore. But the Bruins came and they discussed the differences. They discussed the scripture. They and they checked him on that. Mm -hmm. They went and they checked up and they were going to the synagogue daily to read the scriptures and to, you know, reason through what Paul had had uh, brought to them. So um, back to the Thessalonians, did um, they were. Um, Paul was making sure that they realized that, that they were there to, to give and not to take. <clears throat> and I thought this was a, kind of a, a neat little um, parallel to that, that other one was like a nursing mother. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So... That just shows kind of the other side of Paul's love for them is that he was encouraging, encouraging them and telling them, you know, the right way that they're supposed to be going and, and how they're supposed to be walking. They need to walk in a manner worthy of, of their calling. Um, and it's God that, that calls them into his own kingdom and his own glory. Um, and that's just hard to imagine uh, if you really start putting your... It, it's hard to get your mind wrapped around that, that we're called into God's kingdom. I saw the hand in that. <laughs> Could someone read that? So as after Paul had left 
Thessalonica, and he was down uh, in uh, Athens and then Corinth, they sent Timothy back to see how things were going and to, I guess, minister to them, correct any, any kind of misunderstandings or whatever. But they sent Timothy back. And then when Timothy returned to Paul, that's when Paul got the, uh, the good news. But this passage, in my mind, it just, it, it again, it just um, emphasizes Paul's love for, for the Thessalonians. He could bear it no longer, that he didn't know what was going on. Because remember, they're in a difficult situation. It's a small church. It's a young church. They're baby Christians. And the, the um, environment is very difficult. And so he was very anxious about what was going on with them. He was anxious about what, what was, uh, they were going through, whether they were holding steady in the faith, what, what they were able to do. And so they sent Timothy back um, to find out. And so Timothy went, came back and reported. And then this is when Paul wrote this letter. So he couldn't wait to hear how things were going for him. Now, he also wrote the letter to encourage him. And so, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So I just think it's really encouraging if, if you're in the middle of a struggle that even when things don't look like they're going the way they should be going, that the spiritual your spiritual father comes alongside you and says, hey, God chose you. God is using you. I saw the power of God in your life already. So um, I know that you're loved by God. And, and to me, it's, it kind of reminds, this passage kind of reminds me of, of the time we have every Sunday morning in confession in, in the service. Because we all sin. We're all doing things that we ought not be doing, and we know that. And so Satan kind of gets in your mind, and he's like, well, you know, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that or this or the other thing. But the time of confession that we have, not only in there, but also, you know, in our personal uh, prayer time, is kind of a reminder that God knows that we're sinners. And he loves us anyway. And so it's kind of, that, that is what this passage kind of reminded me of was that I know who you are because I saw God work in you. And so things might be difficult. Things might not be going the way that you think that they're supposed to go, but I know who you are. And uh, you're loved by God and you're chosen by him. <clears throat> Any comments on that? I'm going to be the only one that says I'm a sinner? Okay. I see how you're going to do it. That's it. That's all right. I know the truth. Can somebody read six and seven? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So he's telling them, you're on the right track. You're following us. We're following the, the Lord. You're following us. You're following the Lord, too. Um, and everybody can see that because your witness, your behavior is a witness to those people around you. Not only right directly around you, but word is spreading. So uh, Macedonia is probably the northern two-thirds or so of what we now call Greece. And Achaia, or however you say that word, is the lower one-third. 
So the whole area can see what you're doing, can see what, what you're about, um, and can see the work of God in you. So keep going. God's at work. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may, excuse me, I've lost my spot here. My glasses are, <laughs> who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So he's telling them that even the, the uh, struggles that they're going through, the persecutions that they're going through, are the same persecutions that the church in, in Judea went through. And remember what the church in Judea did. I mean, they killed Jesus. They killed, and before that, they killed the prophets. So um, just like Jesus told us um, in one of the Gospels that, um, hey, they hate me, they're going to hate you. Expect it. This is not a surprise that, that you're being persecuted. Expect it, um, and so that's what he's he's comparing them that that even you know they're they're as good as far as you know this kind of thing goes that they're they're as good doing as well as the the Christian churches back in Judea because they were they're under the same type of persecution that that the church has always had. So it also struck me with this pas passage that that that's Paul's brand of flattery. I mean, it doesn't sound that flattering, but that's Paul's brand of flattery. Look, you're, you guys are doing well. Yes, you're getting persecuted. Yes, things are tough, but you're doing great. Keep it up. God is at work. Could someone read that one? So that's another attaboy and attagirl. They're, they're doing well. They're loving one another. Um, one <coughs> sermon that I heard earlier this week was um, the pastor was comparing the church at Thessalonica to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation, where that's the only one, the only one that has no condemnation. He didn't have anything against it. The, the church in Thessalonica was doing well. They were doing the right things. And so Paul's urging them, look, I don't need to tell you to love one another because you're already doing that. Keep doing it. More and more and more. Keep doing it. Um, and not only the ones right here in your own congregation, but also the ones in the, in the surrounding areas too. So um, keep going. Then, of course, the pastor has to give a caution for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, 
because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And it struck me whenever I was going through this that there's, there's nothing new under the sun. I was going through my notes this morning, and I had just checked the um, headlines on the, on the computer. And probably two-thirds of them were, had something to do with sexual immorality in one form or another. I mean, it's just going nuts in our, in our, uh, in our society. Same thing with their society. Because remember, they were, they were pagans. They, um, they had no, none of the, the same restrictions, the moral uh, outlook that, that we have. Um, so they were called to be different than their society. They were called to be apart. Um, and so Paul's reminding them that. Don't slip back into, into what, they're, what they're doing. So we're not immune to the, the messiness of sin e- any more than they were, but we're supposed to realize it's sin and repent of it. So that makes us different than, than, the, uh, than the community um, whenever we, we acknowledge things are sin. And um, the other thing that really stood out to me on this one was, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God. So in our society, we have a lot of um, argument back and forth about, well, that's just your opinion on this or that or the other thing. Um, and sadly, there's some areas that call themselves Christians that would, would go along with that. But this is not the opinion of man. It's, it's God that says, that says the things that he says. So we need to take those things seriously uh, where God takes them seriously. Um, and, and that's just a kind of a minefield that, that, that the church is walking through right now. No comment on that either? All right. We're getting done fast. Can someone read that one? So Paul also wrote to them because he needed to clear up some misunderstandings that, that they had. Apparently there were some people that were upset because, you know, maybe their aunt died before the second coming and they're, they're afraid that she's going to miss out. Um, that, that people who are already, have already died before the second coming are not going to be raised up with Jesus. So if you kind of think about it, the, back then... They really had nothing other than what had been taught to them. They really had nothing to go back to, to refer to. Um, there was no New Testament yet. There were no commentaries. Um, what access they had to Scripture was probably gone because they couldn't go back to the synagogue once they, once they became Christian. Um, and they weren't blessed with pastors like we are now. I mean, we have... This church is, is especially, is a, it's an embarrassment of riches. We've got, I don't know how many guys here that have, that have gone to seminary, and, and it's just, we've got a lot of resources around here that we can go to, so if you have a question, you can always pick up the phone and say, hey, 
I'm thinking about this or that or the other thing. Um, or Diane and I were talking a couple weeks ago about um, different aspects of heaven, and I don't know, so I got it on my computer. We got all the, the commentaries are right there. I don't know how many sets came on this, this Bible program that I have, but um, we have a lot of resources that we can go to to learn things. They didn't have that. They had a pastor, um, apparently, but they're all, all brand new Christians, and they don't really know the ins and outs of, of all the little details, and they hadn't even really probably thought of it while Paul was there. This came up later on. So, um, so Paul's like, God's got this. Don't, don't worry about that. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brother, and also, before I move on to that one, um, he also goes into um, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and meet him in the air. If you have questions about that, save them for Clarence. He's going to be doing Revelation in about two months. <laughs> I'm sure he will answer everything. But, I mean, that, that is one of those areas that there are um, genuine um, people that, that argue on both, both sides of some of these issues. But the bottom line is um, God's got us. He, it, we're, we're, and I'll show you that with the passage here in just a minute, too. But now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to, to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't need to know details on, on when the day of the Lord is. Um, we're not going to know exactly when it is. Uh, I made the mistake one time of when I was teaching to say that if anybody ever predicts, like, you know, there's always somebody that's, you know, August 22nd of 1988 or whatever it was, um, there's always somebody that will predict the date. And I made the mistake of saying that if it was... Um, if anybody ever gets that right, it's blind luck. Well, if you teach in Presbyterian circles, you can't say the word luck. Okay? But you get what I'm trying to say. It's going to be an accident. Um, so they're just going to stumble on the, stumble on the, the right date by accident. Um, because um, we don't know. Jesus said he didn't know when he was here. And if Jesus didn't know it, what makes me think that I will ever be able to know it? I'll know it after it happens, but, um, but I'm not going to know it beforehand. Um, this is kind of simplistic, but um, the day of the Lord comes for each one of us when we, when we die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, the thing that, that I always look at in my own heart is, you know, I, I hear students sometimes, and I won't mention names, but they might be my kids, um, 
you know, they'll, they'll be upset because the professor didn't post a score of their last exam. So they don't know what they're going to have to get on the final in order to get whatever grade that they think they need to get. So I'm thinking, what difference does it make what that score was? You still want to do your best on the next exam, right? What you're, what you're required to do today has no bearing on what that score was on your last exam. You've still got your, your work to do today. And it's the same thing with us. <clears throat> would you live your life or would I live my life any different if I knew the Lord was coming back tomorrow? Would I live today any differently? Probably, but the answer probably should be no. <laughs> I, should, I should probably be doing the same thing. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and that, that's it. Your responsibilities are the same whether we've got one more day left or, you know, a thousand. <clears throat> so we don't need to know details. We get, we get wrapped up on, on that kind of stuff sometimes, with, and it doesn't really benefit us that much. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So he's telling them, keep working. Keep doing the things that you're doing. Keep doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. Um, and you're not going to be surprised because we can see, we're not going to know dates, but we can kind of see patterns. I mean, you, the one thing, one thing that you can say for sure is we're closer to the end today than we were when he wrote this. Right? Might be another thousand years. I don't know. Um, I don't think so, but I don't know. Because just the, the pattern of the way the world is right now, it just seems like things are winding up toward a close. But I don't know that. And it doesn't change my responsibilities one bit. I still have to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. So we will have clues if we, if we are aware of, of what the world is like, but we're still not going to know. We just keep, keep awake and keep sober, and, and um, like Cheryl said, just be about your business. Keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, what the Lord has given you to do. Keep doing those things. And don't sell all your stuff and move out to the desert of wherever and wait for Haley's Comet. This is the verse that I think kind of wraps it up for me. Um, you know, whenever you talk about end times, and you, you, some people are, you know, pre-millennialist, pre post-millennialist, and then there's the joke, well, I'm a pan-millennialist, that it will pan out in the end. And I've always thought that that was kind of um, lazy thinking. But that's kind of what this verse here says, so I, I'll, I'll go back to that. Um, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So it doesn't really matter if we die before the second coming, 
if we're awake at the second coming, um, if it's pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, whatever, all those things really don't matter when you boil it down to it because God has not destined us for wrath, uh, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so we trust in God for salvation, and, and there's no reason not to trust him with whatever the plan is that he has for the end times. So our job continues, keep on keeping on with, with what, we're, what we're doing. And again, Clarence will be answering all questions. And then this, I thought, was a good verse to end it with. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And you can, you can hear that he's eager to come back and spend more time with them. Direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. So that is an amen. Um, comments? We have a couple minutes left. You, you have the truth. And right after that passage is when he talked about being chosen, that you, you cho God chose you. And so that's how I believe he knew that they were chosen was because he saw those things. He saw the fruit in their lives as they worked through and did the things they were, they were um, we obedient. We so caught up with everything that's right. around us. Right. We're kind of like, I don't remember what that movie was where it was, you know, he's talking to somebody, he goes, squirrel? Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole, the whole world is squirrel. <laughs> so it, it's hard to, uh, hard to keep focus on the things that we need to, to focus on. Yes? It's interesting that every single chapter talks about <coughs> the second coming of Christ. And also when you look at the next letter, it does the same thing. And so this was... Yeah. That we lose sight of Jesus is coming back again. And we need to have that focus, refocus, time and again. Yeah, and, and like I like I was saying, if if we knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would it make a difference in how we live today? And the answer is probably yes, but it, it probably ought to be no. Because <laughs> we probably ought to be living today in light of the fact that Jesus could come back tomorrow. So yeah, I I agree. 
we need to keep that on the top of our mind. Second Peter says that in view of the whole destruction of the whole universe and everything, that should cause us to live a holy life now. And, and so it should affect the way that we live, knowing that he's coming in and this world is coming to an end. Yeah, it's convicting. Anything else? Are you going to, are we starting, stopping on chapter three, or are you going to do chapter four and five later? Or? Well, I've been scattering through, through. Well, my, I, I, don't, I like to end on this in verse uh, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Mm -hmm. And I take a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. When we're yeah. Through things. Yep. It is hard to do, <laughs> and and it's that's why I think it, it is helpful for somebody like Paul to come alongside him and say, "Remember, God chose you. <laughs> God's at work in you. Yes, it's hard, but so yeah, I like that. I like that." In Kim, would you close us in prayer, please? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it.